scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. This takes place immediately after Jesus learns of the death of John the Baptist. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled, and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, beside the women and children. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, this is another one of those scriptures that is very familiar to most of us here. We've heard the story, even as children, about the feeding of the 5,000. And there's always a danger in a familiar story that we hear only the message we learned as a child and, and maybe it doesn't grow with us in a way that you would want it to. And so, Lord, we need your spirit to speak to ours. We need you to open our hearts and minds to what you might be saying to us today, maybe in a different way. Help us to hear what you're saying. Don't let the preacher's words get in the way, but help us to listen to that still, small voice of yours. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. You know, um, I don't know if you know this, but this story of the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle in the New Testament that is found in all four Gospels, other than the resurrection of Jesus, okay? But in terms of a um, miracle that was performed by Jesus, it's only one that you find in all four Gospels, isn't it? I find that remarkable because you think of all the miracles that Jesus uh, did, you would think, surely there are others. Maybe there's half a dozen that you find in all the Gospels, but it's not true. Um, There are some miracles that are found only in one of the Gospels, others that are found in two or three of them, but this is the only one in all four. So what that suggests is there's something important about this miracle. There's something important about this story that all four Gospel writers wanted us to know about some 2,000 years later. Now, there are a few differences in the accounts. They're not not all identical. 
For instance, the synoptic gospels, we've talked about this before, the synoptics are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and they're called synoptic gospels because they, they're very similar. It's like 90% of Mark's gospel is found in both Matthew and Luke, and synoptic comes from two Greek words, sin meaning, meaning one, and optic meaning eye, one eye. They see the life of Jesus with one eye. John is very different. But um, to give you an example of how the stories vary, in the synoptics, it is the disciples who have the five loaves and two fish, and they give it to Jesus. He blesses the five loaves and two fish. He hands them back to the disciples, and they distribute it to the crowd. In John's gospel, they don't even, the disciples don't even have the, the loaves and fish. They have nothing. They have to find a little boy who has five loaves and two fish. And Philip brings a little boy to Jesus and says, well, we, we found a boy who has, uh, has five loaves and two fish, but what's that to feed such a large crowd? Now, in John's account, Jesus then takes the five loaves and two fish, he blesses it, and then he, Jesus, distributes them to the crowd. So that's, that's, that's one difference. Um, but they all, all four accounts tell us of five loaves and two fish. And all of them tell us about what's left over, 12 baskets. So all of them are saying there wasn't much that the disciples could come up with, either out of their own pockets or out of that of a, of a little boy. There wasn't much, five loaves and two fish, but they were able to feed everybody, and what was left over were 12 baskets. Now, how many? <laughs> you heard from our, our reading this morning, uh, 5,000 men plus the women and, and children. And that's also reflected in the in a couple of the other accounts as well. Uh, I've always kind of laughed at why why were they only counting the men? And I suggested maybe they did because it's easier to count bald heads in the sunlight. I, I don't know. I don't know. But the, but the point is that the scriptures tell us 5,000 men plus women and children. So you're talking about a huge crowd. Now, I'd like for us to imagine for a few moments if we were one of the disciples, what, what were they going through? What were they feeling? What, what was happening with them? And, and I've got a few examples of what I think they may have been feeling. Number one, I think they were weary. They were tired. Well, we don't see in the scripture lesson this morning, and you only see it if you look back a few verses in the chapter, what you what you learn is that they have been out, the disciples have been out, maybe, maybe for the last day, maybe the last week, we don't know how long, but they've been out ministering on behalf of Jesus. They've been teaching and they have been curing illnesses. They've been doing a lot of the work of Jesus. It's, it's sort of like he has sent them out um, to practice what they've been learning all along. And so they now are coming back and in fact, Mark's gospel says they, that they uh, came and they told Jesus all they had done and taught. They, they were, you can almost imagine that they were, wow, boy, we, we did a lot. Jesus, we want to tell you about this. And so they're coming back to talk to Jesus, but they're weary, they're tired. They're, and, and the reason I suggest that is because at least in one of the accounts, uh, Jesus actually sees that he says, Come away 
to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. So they begin at point A and they end up at point B across the lake. He puts them in a boat and they go across to another place so they could rest. They're weary. They're tired. The last thing in in the world they want is to be around a crowd of people. Have you ever been that way? Have you ever just so exhausted? It's like if another person calls me or texts me or Facebooks me, I'm I'm just going to go out of my mind. Well, that's what they were feeling. They were wanting to get away. So they're weary, number one. Secondly, I think they were scared. I think they were scared to death. The reason I say that is because, again, if you read some of the verses just before this account, what you learn is they have just learned of John the Baptist having been arrested and now having been executed. He's had his head lopped off because he dared to uh, say a few words about King Herod that Herod didn't like. And so... Remember, the relationship between John and Jesus, uh, you know, it was John who baptized Jesus. In fact, Herod confused Jesus and, and, um, and John. He thought that Jesus was, in fact, John, you know, come back from, from the dead, you know, after he had killed him. I, the, the, the point is, they had a relationship And there are several accounts where the disciples of Jesus kind of had conversations with the disciples of John. So you can imagine if you were one of the disciples, not only are you tired, but you're kind of scared. You don't want to be around a bunch of people because out in that crowd, there might be spies from King Herod. There might be somebody kind of taking note of where you are. And uh, maybe you'll be next. Maybe you'll be arrested. Maybe you will be executed as well. As I said, the last place they wanted to be was in a crowd. The third thing I think they might have been feeling is simply overwhelmed. Just absolutely overwhelmed. In, in our scripture lesson, uh, Matthew tells us that Jesus had compassion on the crowd. And that's repeated in a couple of the other accounts as well. Jesus had compassion in the crowd. So, so he, wanted, he wanted to interact with the crowd while they were not wanting to. The disciples weren't. In, in fact, when Jesus got the disciples in the boat and went across the lake, the crowd saw where he was going. They went around the lake and they were waiting for Jesus and the disciples when they got there. Can you imagine if you were sitting in the boat and you're going, oh my goodness, don't think, get a life, go home. You know, they don't want to be around the crowd and here. They're already there, but they're five, 10, 15,000 people. This is a huge crowd. This is not just little, you know, uh, uh, people that are kind of over have been overflowing out of a, out of a room somewhere. This is, I mean, this is the whole hillside just filled with people. I don't know about you, but I'd be overwhelmed with that. And especially if my leader, Jesus, has compassion on them and he wants to sit down and he wants to talk to them and teach them and heal the sick. And my goodness, these people, they're probably, they're just craving for Jesus. They're hungry for Jesus and they're coming to him. And and you're one of the disciples and you're going, oh my goodness, it must have felt overwhelming to them. And then Jesus goes about saying, I want you to feed them. That must have felt just impossible. They, they wanted to send the crowds home and they simply had no means 
to feed the crowd or to shelter them or to deal with their needs. The, de the needs of these people were well beyond their reach. And so the fourth thing I think they might have been feeling was simply empty, just empty. Their, their hands might as well have had nothing in them. Maybe that story of John is reflective of their feeling. They had to find a little boy to bring the five loaves and two fish because they didn't think they had anything to offer. They, they thought they had nothing left. They, were, they had given it all away, and it was gone. They were empty inside. And that's precisely when Jesus said, you give them something to eat. So what did they do with that instruction? <laughs> they made light of it. You know, um, in Mark's gospel, uh, the disciples ask, are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? A denarius was uh, equivalent to basically one day's wage. So 200 denarii would be about 200 days of wage. Well, they didn't have that. <laughs> they didn't have all, all, more than half a year worth of wage, do you? Could you just go to the bank and get half of a year of your salary and then feed for one meal a whole crowd? I mean, they throw that out there really saying that's what it would take, but, I, you know, we don't even have that. What do you mean feed this crowd? In fact, in John's gospel, it's Philip who says six months' wages would not buy enough bread for these people to eat. So even if they did have six months' worth of wages, they weren't going to feed this crowd. That was impossible. All they had were five loaves and two fish. That's all they had. So you see, in their minds... They were being asked to do the impossible. Now, it's not the first time God has asked people to do the impossible. Take, for instance, Noah. Noah was asked to build an, a boat in the desert. Get ready for a big rainstorm. It's going to cover the earth. <laughs> impossible. Remember Gideon? Gideon had an army of like 20,000 soldiers. He was up against... Uh, uh, a, a more imposing army of the Midianites. And in fact, the scriptures tell us that the Midianites numbered like locusts. That's how, I mean, they couldn't even count them. And to, to further kind of illustrate how large uh, a community of the Midianites was, the scriptures say that they had camels as numerous as sands on the seashore. That's a lot of camels. And Camels were often used in warfare. So they had people that were just like locusts, and they had these armored camels, <laughs> like sand in the seashore. That's what Gideon was up against. And you know what God said to Gideon? Your army's too big. You need to cut it down. And he kept cutting it and cutting it until there were only 300 that lapped like dogs. Don't you love this image that we're showing? They're all lapping like dogs. They're the only ones who... God would allow to, you know, do battle. So here Gideon is standing here with 300 dog lappers. <laughs> and he's told, I want you to have them all take a torch and a trumpet and then go defeat the Midianites. That's impossible, Gideon must have felt. And that's what God was asking him to do. And of course, we know the rest of that story. Gideon won the battle. Remember Joseph? Joseph was being asked to forgive his brothers 
who had sold him into slavery. And if those, those merchants had, come, had not come along at the right time, they would have killed him. And here Joseph is being asked to forgive them. That's impossible. Moses? Moses was acting like a shepherd watching his father-in-law's sheep when God comes to him and says, I want you to go to Pharaoh. Remember the guy that's in charge of probably the strongest nation on the earth at that time? And I want you to go there and I want you to tell him to let his slaves go. (laughs) Moses must have shaken his head and said, that's impossible. When Jesus called his disciples together, especially the Jewish fishermen, he called them to love tax collectors and Samaritans and sinners of all stripes. That's impossible. How can you ask a Jewish fisherman to do such a thing as that? And then, of course, we all know about Saul who became Paul. The very man who stood by holding the cloaks of those who stoned at Stephen because Stephen dared to be a follower of Christ. It was this Saul to become Paul who was on his way to Damascus with papers to arrest other Christians to see that they would be brought to what he considered justice. And it is this Paul who is called to be perhaps one of the greatest evangelists of all time, certainly the greatest apologist for the faith. That was impossible to suggest that a Pharisee like Saul could change in that way, and yet that's what God called him to do. My question to you this morning is, what impossible task is God calling you to do? Now, there are a lot of hungry people out there who need our five loaves and two fish. Just look in your hands. You might not even think you have five loaves. Certainly no two fish. Now, these people who are hungry are not just hungry for bread and seafood. According to Mark, in his story, the people were hungry for teaching and rest. They were, I think he says, they... They were coming and going such that they had no leisure even to eat. You ever feel like your life is like that and people around you are like that? No leisure even to eat. They were hungry for compassion. That's why Jesus shared his love with him. And they were hungry for leadership. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Now you and I may feel weary and scared and overwhelmed and empty just like the disciples did but God is calling us to give what we have not what's needed but what's what we have Jesus did not ask the disciples what's it going to take to feed this crowd let's try to figure it out let's form a committee (laughs) and and let's study this problem if they had done that half of the crowd would have starved to death before they ever came up with a conclusion no Jesus didn't ask his disciples what would it take to solve the problem he asked them how many loaves do you have you give them what you have that's what he's saying that's why we feed the hungry every Monday in this very place where we're worshiping right now that's why we shelter the the homeless 
during the winter months and travel to Appalachia and Haiti and Lithuania. Why so many of us volunteer at uh, Loaves and Fishes to, to help those who really are hungry for, for bread. We do this because we want to give what we have. We, we hear the call. But you know, the needs around us are overwhelming. But like I said, we're, we're called not, to, not necessarily to solve the problem, but to simply give what we have. And this coming Saturday on August 12th, we're, we're going to open our doors, as, as we mentioned earlier, for prayer and rest to provide a sanctuary in the midst of a chaotic world. In the midst of a world where people are shouting hate-filled words toward each other. It is impossible to think that we can offer sanity in the midst of this lunacy. But that's what we're called to do. Now make no mistake about it. This event is not about the statue. We We can say that. Other people can say it all they want, but it's not about the statue. We can have a reasonable discussion and debate about the statue if you want. That's fine. But this is not about that. This is... This is about people who believe that the world belongs to only a certain group of people like whites. And about others who say, no, no, this world belongs to God and it's, it's offered to us in trust for all God's children. Now God is calling us to do the impossible, to feed people who are hungry for a message of love and inclusiveness in the midst of this chaos. We're being called to offer peace where for a lot of people there is no peace. You know, you, you can't turn on the television, turn on the radio, or, or watch anything on the net. You cannot go anywhere without realizing there's divisiveness in our land. Sometimes even in our own home and in our church. And God is calling us to offer something new. God is calling us to to offer love and peace in the midst of this divisive world. Now, you may not feel like you have much to offer. You may feel like all I've got is uh, I can offer a prayer. And some may feel, well, I can come here and offer a bottle of water. I, I don't know what else I can do. Others can simply say, I'll just be available. I, every person's got to answer that question themselves. What, what do you have? But you may feel like you don't have much. But this story in the Bible tells us if we give what we have, don't worry about how much it is, but give what you have, God will do the multiplying. God will make a miracle out of what we offer. Christ says, look into your hands. How many loaves do you have? He calls us to give what we have. No more, no less. Let us pray. Lord, help us to see what wonderful miracles happen when we turn our lives over to you. Help us to give our hearts to you. Give what we have. Use them, Lord. Amen.